You're now listening to Real Estate Journeys with Matthew Baltzell. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Matty B, a.k.a. Matthew Baltzell, and welcome back to Real Estate Journeys, the exclusive podcast for real estate investors looking to scale their business and thrive as entrepreneurs. So, Guys, today's episode is going to be very interesting. I know we've had people on talking about branding and content creation and PR and public relations, but today's guest is going to be talking about a special thing called the seven hour book. And I know that a lot of people are producing books that are real estate investors to gain credibility and you know, whether that's to try and acquire new investors or make themselves more as a thought leader. But I wanted to bring my friend on, Nick Rathel, because he's going to explain to us a little bit more about this process, why we need a book, how he goes about uh, producing books, and tell us a little bit more about it. So Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, this is new to me as well. And I, I know that you have the seven-hour book. Uh, can you... Tell us a little bit about how you went about coming up with this concept and uh, you know why we might need a book. Sure, absolutely. Um, in terms of that last part, why you might need a book. And let's emphasize that word might there just to preface this whole conversation because we should be clear getting into this that not everyone needs a book. Mm-hmm. And there are some people, in fact, who can use other channels and other strategies to advance their goals. Maybe they need to just go harder on Instagram, run some Facebook ads, maybe even launch a podcast. So the bottom line then is the book strategy is not for everyone, but for those people who do assess their needs and their goals and find that a book probably makes the most sense, they might come to that determination because they look at, for example, in the podcasting space, the overwhelming number of new shows that have been launched recently of people getting themselves out there as real estate investors to raise capital. They look at the event space and they see the increasing number of live events as people are realizing, you know what? You can't just nurture an audience online. You've got to bring them to events like uh, last weekend's Michael Blanc event in Texas, or there's an upcoming wholesale scale event, wholesale, I think it's called. So the event space is also starting to get a little bit more heated than it was. So a lot of the old channels that people would be using to connect and to build their credibility and show investors, for example, that they are in fact, that they do in fact know what they're doing. Those are becoming more crowded. One channel though, that is not nearly as crowded is books, simply because a book takes time to produce. It's not the kind of thing, in most cases, if it's going to be a good book anyway, a book that helps further your purpose, that kind of book can't necessarily be rushed out in an hour after work. There's got to be some time involved. But that's where we come in, though, because in talking with real estate investors, I can tell you, those that have considered a book consistently say, I would love to. It's something that's crossed my mind, but I just don't have time. And that's really where our service, the seven-hour book, would come in. 
Mm. And how so how does it how does it work? Do you sit down weekly, monthly? How long, how quick can you get out the book? Sure. So the essence of the seven hour book, to answer your question, is that it breaks the process of book creation down into seven one hour sessions over Zoom or phone or whatever other communication platform we're up to when we're working with someone. But it breaks it down into just seven one-hour sessions. And then on our side, we take the conversations and we take the information we're gathering on those calls and turn that into a book. And more directly on how much time that would take, it's really going to depend on when we're able to schedule the calls and the complexity of the book itself. I mean, I'll tell you for the complexity, we've had some projects, for example, where there was someone who had a webinar, a series of webinars that they were using to fill their funnel. And they came to us and said, okay, take my series of webinars, those videos, turn them into an ebook, and let's roll with that. Versus on the other side, we had, for example, a syndicator, and he didn't know where to start, but he knew that he wanted to have a book out there as a credibility piece walking passive investors who would be reading it through what he looks for in deals, how the fees are structured in the syndication, and other relevant aspects like that. So that would certainly take a lot longer because we had to come up with it entirely from scratch. Mm-hmm. And then who are the who writes the books? Sure. On our side, we're the ones handling it. Mm-hmm. We work with, they don't have to do any of the writing, which ends up being, for them, pretty good. It sounds pretty good to them because a lot of them are either bad writers or they operate from the standpoint that they should be outsourcing the things that they're not as good at mm-hmm. and really doubling down kind of in a strengths finder way, doubling down on their strong points and outsourcing all the rest. And how many writers do you have on your staff? That tends to vary a little bit mm-hmm. just because creative professionals are on interesting schedules. Let me put it like that. Yeah. Okay. And then, so how, so uh, once somebody has a book, what do they usually do with it? It, it? And these are eBooks, correct? It's both. Okay. That's one of the things really that we're very, very focused on. We, we do eBooks certainly, mm-hmm. but the physical book really matters today, I think more than ever, mm. because there's a concept I refer to called the thud factor. And the thud factor matters in an increasingly digital world. And what that thud factor is for our listeners is it's literally the thud that a physical book makes on the desk of a prospect or Mm -hmm. the coffee table when you're doing a coffee meeting with a prospective investor. That physical sound and then being able to physically touch the book is... It's almost like, you know, in a weird, kind of goofy, metaphysical way, it's almost like they bond with the book mm-hmm. when they touch it. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously not going too far in that direction, but it, it creates a connection with them that a blog post just doesn't have. Mm. Nothing against blog posts, but you can't touch a blog post. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can print it out, but you, know, you can't physically touch it and have that same connection as when you're holding someone's 100-page book yeah. or 200-page book. It's just an entirely different experience. Yeah. When, you, when, you're, when you're saying that, I'm kind of thinking of 
you know, the, 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 the television realm as well, you know, you see somebody on television and you're just like, they're rich. <laughs> like, you know, you're like, they're famous, they're rich and they're famous. So that kind of makes sense as far as like having a book in hand, like credibility. Um, these guys know what they're doing. And now can you speak a little bit on the behalf of as far as publishing is concerned? Do you, is it, are they self-published or do you help people uh, push their content to publishers? How does that work? In that respect, to be clear, we're not a publishing house. I mean, we're certainly not Random House. Uh, what we typically tend to do is help everyone get right up to the point where they need to get the book printed. And then for printing and actually distributing it, we'll help them to find someone who works the best within what they're looking to achieve. I mean, if this is strictly ebook, that's easy. But if it's they want to do a run, for example, of a couple hundred copies, or they want to do print on demand, we'll help them find a good partner. And we do have people we've worked with, plenty of people in the past who we can refer to them to. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what, what is a, uh, the books? What do they usually vary? Or what, do you, what can you promise? So if, I don't know, maybe, maybe not promise is the correct term, but if you do seven hours, you, can you say your book will be between four to 700 pages or... Are you going to get a 130-page pamphlet book? Or what can you promise more so on your end if somebody's looking to do this as, a, as an investor? With respect to the length, uh, certainly is not, I repeat, not going to be 400, 700, anything crazy like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not creating for them war and peace. And we're also on the opposite end, not creating a, anything nearly as short as a children's book. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing, certainly no pamphlets of five pages, 10 pages. I mean, I would say just from people we've worked with over the years, I would say it's probably our sweet spot is around, let's say 120 to about 170, maybe in some cases, a little bit over 200 pages. Mm -hmm. The idea being that a book in that range is long enough to be considered a quote real book by people uh it'll also be thick enough to satisfy that and it's additionally going to be long enough for people to read through and for the author to truly express their ideas in depth but not so long that it intimidates people Mm -hmm. particularly in a world today where as has often been cited people have increasingly short attention Mm-hmm. So it needs to satisfy the author's purpose, have people reading it within those, within those confines. Okay. And then is there uh, any rewrites? During the process, absolutely. Uh, if people aren't satisfied, this is not something that we do and it's take it or leave it. We're actively involved with our authors, helping to really make this be a book that they're proud of and that they have absolutely no qualms about giving to people and enthusiastically, I would add, giving it to people too. Okay. And then what would be a common uh, misconception people have about a book that they should be writing? Well, one of the ones referenced it a little bit earlier back is that they do need a book Mm -hmm. because as I've mentioned, there are some cases when we talk to people and we help them just through talking with them, chatting with them, realize that they don't actually need a book. 
So that would be one. Another one, though, for those people who have decided that they do need a book would be to think that to think that they need a groundbreakingly original idea, mm. that they need to be writing or they need to have the idea for the next four-hour work week or the next 10x rule and simple fact that you don't. And that perception, that perception of needing an original idea and a refreshingly new idea holds so many people back. And one of the ways I would say to overcome it, those who are listening and do feel that they need that idea, or if they've gotten over that point, they're still not sure what their idea should be. I would recommend looking at other books in our industry, real estate investing, or looking even in fields beyond that, personal development, for example, looking for themes, themes of books that have done well, that are popular. And when I say themes, I'm not talking necessarily about the actual subject matter in the book. I'm talking about themes like, I'll give you one of them right now, the person who is enraged at the lies being told by a particular industry. Mm. We see this time and again, someone who is writing the book, or at least their angle in writing the book, is purported to be that they want to correct all the lies that they see being told. So they're kind of the enraged insider. They know they know the truth about an industry or about a particular sector, but they're writing this book to correct all the lies because they're fed up with it. That angle and that slant to a book, you can find that applied nearly everywhere. So that might be one template, one format that if you don't have an idea or if an idea is you're finding it hard to come up with one, that could be one angle for you. Another one in a similar direction might just be a little bit less angry now, but the person who's seen it all and you've been in the industry for a decade, two decades, even more than that, maybe. And you're writing this book because, you know, you've seen it all and you think it's time to share what you've learned, maybe pay it forward a little bit to future generations. That could be another one. Hmm. So whether you use either of those or other ideas and other angles that you find just looking around, you don't have to, as the well-worn cliche goes, you don't have to invent, reinvent the wheel with respect to book topics and book angles. You can identify frameworks like that and then take your own unique life experiences, your own perception of various terms and things within your industry, real estate in this case, and plug those into those well-worn templates and have something truly interesting and engaging. Satisfies your hmm. Very interesting. And then with all these books that you, you and your company have been writing, have you noticed with real estate investors in particular, any common themes that have continually come up over book over book? One of the themes that I feel like we've seen has been really just the, the educational and the educator theme. And the educator theme, the person scales back a little bit and doesn't go as full on their story. What they do instead is they talk about it more from just a point by point by point. Yeah. Here's how it works. Mm. And it really is meant to just educate people who are listening to them. 
that's what I've seen. But then there are also those who, an example before, actually, before we get to the next one, an example would be someone who is a syndicator Mm. and they really do just want to break down how it works uh, in some cases, because they're just sick of answering all the questions over and over again, the same questions for people. Yeah. But they would, in that case, then have a chapter talking about waterfall structure or these other aspects of the fees in a syndication. Then they would have a chapter on due diligence, what they specifically look for, their criteria. So their passive investors would know, okay, here's what he or here's what she is thinking about and focusing on when they're doing the due diligence for the deals that I'm giving them my money to invest in. So a book like that would be purely educational with the author maybe having something very brief in the intro talking about their background and their experiences, but really not putting a whole lot of themselves personally in the book, Mm. really letting the deals and the educational piece carry the book versus in the other direction of full 180 from that, really, you would have the person, particularly if they're wanting to move beyond just being an investor and begin transforming and transitioning into coaching. They, in that case, would be building the book much more intensively around their story, how their eyes were opened to the power, true power of real estate investing, and how it transformed their life, leading ultimately to the end of the book where the call to action, in a sense, would be, okay, you've heard my story. You've heard the points along it. You've heard the principles and the lessons that I've learned, which I've imparted to you during this book. Now, will you join me in taking the next step, which depending on the person might be a mentoring program or some sort of a coaching offering, consulting, and the book would then segue into that. So either of those angles, the education or the 180 from that being much more of a personality and personal personality driven book mm, very interesting and what would what would uh what would this service run a real estate investor could you give me a, a ballpark figure of or, or a range when you say run you mind clarifying uh, uh ballpark like run when i say run i mean like if, if you if you say like how much does a TV cost? Like if you say, how much does a TV run you? Like $1,500 or, but I'm saying like ballpark range. Can you say like between 2000 and 4,000 or a couple hundred dollars or what, what, uh, what does, what would a service like this cost somebody? I see. Yeah. In terms of the investment for this, mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely going to vary project to project. Mm-hmm. I will say though, that most of the projects we've worked on to date, we're usually able to get the person's book out in the way that they want it and on the channels that they want it for a little bit under 10 grand US. Mm-hmm. So most of the projects, we, we certainly do have some that are substantially greater than that, mm-hmm. but I would say that's probably probably a pretty reasonable ballpark in terms of what we're talking about. Okay. And then go just to uh, backtrack a little to the publishing would you say what percentage of the people would you say after they get their book uh, self-published and there's no distribution? That's going to be 
hard for me to answer. I, huh. I'm just, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. Oh, okay. All right. No problem. And so what, and if um, somebody's looking to, uh, go this route and they want to get the seven hour, seven hour book, how would they get in contact with you? Well, they could go to our website and website is contentcore.net, which is C O N T E N T C O R P S dot N E T contentcore.net. Very cool. I'll make sure I include that in the show notes. Well, I want to wrap it up with the closing three questions here for you, Nick. First question is, what is your favorite book to re-gift? Well, given all of the books that we've created and all the other books that I'm engaged in reading and have read, that's certainly a difficult question. One of the books, though, that I do like, that I, I tend to recommend quite a bit, would be The Magic of Thinking Big. By David Schwartz. Um, another book, though, on top of that, that I've also regifted probably more times than I can count. It's a very old book from around the time, actually, of Think and Grow Rich. And it's a book called An Iron Will. The author is Orison Sweat Martin. And to give our listeners some background on Mr. Martin, Orison Sweat Martin, he was the founder of what is today's Success Magazine, mm. which I believe Darren Hardy of uh, The Compound Effect purchased a couple of years back. So this guy, Orson Sweat Martin, wrote a book called An Iron Will. And the reason I love regifting it is because it's really one of the purest discussions of willpower that you're going to find. There's, it was written at a time when people didn't realize you could do weekend seminars on personal development or that you could have tape series or that you could do the whole Tony Robbins song and dance of having this empire really of motivational and self-transformation products. This guy, Orson Sweat Martin, really was just writing a book on willpower and motivation for the sake of it. And his examples too run the gamut of people from ancient Greece all the way up until interesting turn of the century, 20th century, 19th century people you've never even heard of because it's that far back. So it's not only a major boost from the motivation department, but it also provides an excellent look into aspects of history that otherwise get overlooked. An example of that would be a fellow by the name of Cyrus W. Fields. Now, I'm guessing, Matt, that name probably doesn't no, ring a bell to you. I don't know it? the name. This guy, Cyrus W. Fields, though, is interesting because he was phenomenally successful in business before turning his attention to laying the first ever cable under the Atlantic, connecting North America mm. with Europe. So he was essentially the, if you want to think historically, he was essentially the on the caliber of, let's say, a Richard Branson mm. of his day, or of in the way some people would consider an Elon mm. Musk today. Though that is, that is certainly debatable. But it's those kind of people that are in the book that I just find fascinating, and plenty of friends have said the same mm. when I gift it to them. So that book, An Iron Will by Orson Sweat Martin, in addition to the one before that, The Magic of Thinking Big, by David Schwartz are the two I'd recommend. Second question. 
what is a pain point or weakness you face right now in your business? That's also a good question. I think that one of the pain points that we've consistently had is onboarding people and ensuring that they truly are up to speed on absolutely everything. Because we can create all the videos that are necessary and we can think that someone has got it. But as with any organization, there's a difference between people saying, I've got it, and them really getting it and having that that understanding and that comprehension of what the job is, what they need to be doing right when they're first getting there. So I say onboarding, it's probably an issue too of training, just ensuring that our training process is a little bit better. But I would say that is a pain point that we're working to improve. Third and last question, what is your best piece of advice to give to an entrepreneur? So many come to mind. One of the ones that that I enjoy, it's based on a Warren Buffett quote. And his quote was that he got from, I believe, some mentor of his was that you can always tell a guy to go to hell tomorrow. You don't forfeit that right by waiting. And the reason I love that quote is because first, in typical Buffett fashion, it's, it's pretty blunt. Buffett's not the kind of guy to mince his words, but he's also not the kind of guy to just give rash, outlandish statements in the way that some would say, for example, Grant mm-hmm. Cardone does. So Buffett's, Buffett's advice here, though, is, is excellent, I believe, beyond that, because it really is It's a call to have patience. It's a call to rein in your emotions. It's a call to think logically. And it's also a call to give people the benefit of the doubt, which more often than not is so fundamentally important. More often than not, the way we think something is said or the way we think an event happened, if we'll just wait and we'll just pause, press that pause button, we'll end up coming to light as not the actual way the event unfolded or not what the person really intended to say or for us to be experiencing as a feeling based on what they had said. So I think it really emphasizes just that importance of waiting, giving people the benefit of the doubt, and just making sure that your reaction to something isn't even a proper reaction and you're not going to blow something mm. out of proportion. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing those uh, three questions there, answering those three questions there for us. Nick, I appreciate having you on the show. I know you've added a lot of value and I know people that are thinking about uh, getting a real estate book, whether they've been on the fence or not, I think they've probably been skewed more to get a book now. So I will make sure to include all that information in the show notes. So if anybody is wanting to get that please click on that and contact Nick. He's a great guy and he'll be taking good care of you there for you. Nick, once again, thank you again. And we'll catch you on the next call round, my friend. It's been a pleasure, Matt. Thank you again. Hey guys, congratulations on listening to the whole episode so far. But now I want you to take it one step further. Please head on over to matthewbaltzell.com forward slash discover to schedule a free 15-minute call with me And tell me about what is a pain point you're facing right now in real estate, and I'll create an episode around that there for you.
Peace.